Welcome to the Twilight Conversations. My name is Jimmy, and in this podcast, I'll be exploring human relationships, human potential, and that curious space between the dark and the light. Well, hello, and welcome to episode 32 of the Twilight Conversations. Um, good to be back. Seems to have been a crazy few weeks. Um, so, today's episode is. And as I said, there is this kind of a a thread. It's not all that fine through all the all of the uh, episodes. I suppose I, I, I'm not someone who's going to take these very very different subjects. They're all going to be in the area of, you know, human development, human suffering, healing, love, all of that type of stuff. You know, a kind of a therapy twinge and a bit of a rock and roll musical twinge. If you notice, I do like to quote my music. Um, so this episode is really human desire yearning longing and loneliness there you go <laughs> that, uh, which i think is at the core of everything you know but I'll, I'll get into that as we go along and it's something that's that i'm i'm interested in human loneliness but you know being the type of therapist i am a person i am i'm drawn to that and i think that the, the core of all human interaction is the desire to connect and and meet uh, others other other humans in a similar place and to be held and touched psychologically spiritually emotionally absolutely physically also um and when that goes wrong not that the person's wrong or it's not met correctly or there's all kinds of mixed messages about that that i get into um it can cause even further uh deep what I'll call spiritual suffering, but you can actually feel it physically in your body, you know. Um, I'm thinking of, it's a Sunday now as it happens, the, I was going to say the late, he's still alive, I'm buried him before he's even gone, the great singer and songwriter Chris Christopherson in his uh, observation on his own, an alcoholic Sunday, you know, Sunday morning sidewalk. But he's got that brilliant line, that, you know, if you don't like Christopherson, don't worry about it but lyrically and spiritually or emotionally what he's actually saying is is so it's, it's almost chilling how close it is to the human experience and i don't think you have to be alcoholic on a sunday hung over and fucked up to kind of get this because i've always found sundays to have a little bit of this in it but he says um on a sunday morning sidewalk wishing to lord i was stoned here's the line now but there's something in a sunday makes the body feel alone it does, doesn't it? I don't know what it is. You know, at a surface level as a kid, it used to be because school was the next day, but it was always deeper than that. I always felt, what is it about? We have to go to mass. Was it that? Yeah, a little bit. That, that felt a bit odd. I just felt it off people or I imagined or maybe everything was closed back in the day, but even now everything's open, I still feel it a bit. I don't know what it is. It could be a collective energy, some imprint of Sundayness. I don't know. But uh, he, he hit the nail on the head. So that, I've always been interested in, you know, what what's what's behind things for human beings, what's really going on. And and I don't think there's ever anything bad for 99.9% of human beings, even if the other percentages, I wouldn't even call it bad. I think it's uh, human beings trying to connect maybe with limited tools or awareness or knowledge of how to do that and making wrong, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, I'll go into that much, much more. So it's an area I'm, I've always been very interested in as a therapist, as a person, how do we connect 
you know, what, what's this deep yearning I feel in my being? What is that actually hurts my body? I can feel it. Um, desire to connect and, and other people seeming not to have it or pretending they don't want to get to that or calling it all kinds of other things and blah, 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 blah. So this episode was inspired by all of that, lots of things. And the funky groovy Laney was an inspiration to this. Gave me a nudge and says, why don't you do it on that? You know, you talk about that a lot. So there you go. Shout out to you, Laney. I'm doing it on that. And it's something I had been thinking of, you know, or I was thinking, do I cover that anyway? But I thought I'd give over an episode to the that deep longing in the human soul, that kind of like... You know, some people love to want a happy podcast, like turn that fucking thing off. Don't want to hear about that. But uh, like with a lot of stuff, like Leonard Cohen, when you when I listen to it, actually, I find it uplifting. So I know there'll be some of you who probably tune out because it's quite painful, but it can be quite liberating and, and freeing to hear and acknowledge. Yeah, maybe I'm a bit like that. Like everybody is, and it's okay. And I'm separating this from the kind of like, oh, I'm a bit lonely. There's no one around. I'd like to meet some people, and that's fine. And there's a little bit of that there, and we meet people. Um. I'm separating that from being alone because, as I've often told you, me being an, uh, quite a, a, I don't, I'm not profound as a person, I don't know, but very much high end introvert, right? I think at the highest end you can get according to all tests I've ever taken. Um, I can be, you know, crave being on my own. I love it. It's not the feeling of being on my own in my own being. There's something else going on, which we will reveal as we go on. Um, that type of stuff. So that's really what today's um, podcast is going to be about. What's going on inside of us? What is that? You know, because again, there's a real, uh, there's a really important element to this is that we we are mammals, obviously. Uh, maybe that's not obvious. We're physical beings. We're spiritual beings having this human experience. So we're mammalian, which means automatically we need other mammals to for succor and comfort, for contact. So there's actually a biological need for physical touch connection, you know. Um, I love the work of a uh, great writer, Ashley Montagu. He was, he, he's passed away within the last 10 or 15 years. Um, an anthropologist, beautiful writings. He's written many fabulous books, but one I love is called Touching, uh, some significance of the skin. And, you know, he, he makes very profound observations and he's done lots of studies and he's studied lots of studies around mammals, animals, babies. You know, this will tie in with some of the craft work. How literally, you know, uh, mammalian animals that are don't get the same attention from the mother and they, they talk about the licking that the mother does uh, and it's not just to clean. Often we think, ah, oh, she's, she's cleaning the young. Which there's a bit of that, you know, but it's to stimulate the actual organs and that infant babies that don't get that including human will die or not thrive and there's something really profoundly sad about that isn't there you know and of course mammals do it automatically you'll watch little pups or kittens and they're all lying all over each other and the mother's licking them and, them and, them. and there's, there's lots of that type of stuff and all mammals will do that you know um, lots of contact lots of physical contact um, and whilst it has maybe practical elements for cleaning, it has much deeper thriving elements for actually stimulating the nervous system. Uh, but I think there's another dimension as well to feeling loved or wanted. Because as mammals, we don't know any other way other than if someone puts their arms around us. When we're young, we can kind of figure it out differently as we're older, you know. 
um, because not everyone is able to do that or to, to pat you on the back or to hold your hand or to make some physical gesture, you know. But um, they even, in, in studies with infant, human infants, because uh, they, they did it with, obviously, rats is the one they usually do with, uh, with more closer to us primates, various monkeys. Uh, infants that weren't stroked on their back, held, rocked, uh, licked, either really had their their uh, their immune system was affected. It's 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 a uh, really important for the immune system, the nervous system, the whole thing. But the the baby just didn't thrive. They didn't put on as much weight. They were qu quieter, or they cried a lot more, or they just looked discontented. In, in studies, as they looked at them later on, they just didn't do as well. You know, and in, in very rare instances that that baby would die, you know, with mammals that has happened, you know, that they, they, they've actually noticed, I think with, with kittens, with uh, puppies, with baby monkeys, all types of mammals, they notice that because there's a particular uh, licking and stroking that mothers do uh, around the baby's genitals. And they, they were wondering for ages what that was for. They don't do that. The baby doesn't learn how to pee or poo. You know, it's actually to stimulate that. And of course, if that didn't happen, they died because they got, you know, they got, you know, it's really, it's really interesting. So we're not that different in that sense from a mammalian perspective. So apart from all the other levels and layers of connection we can have as human beings, we need physical connection. We need physical contact. You know, maybe that's why the body aches so much in a lonely way. I don't know. So that's Ashley Montague. He's an extraordinary um, here's a lovely saying by, by Ashley Montague. Now, and I, I would encourage, if you're interested in this area, to read up on the book Touching by Ashley Montague. Anyway, the saying is, the loving touch, like music, often utters the things that cannot be spoken. There you go. There's a lot of, you'll hear me emphasize music to kind of describe that. That's the loving touch, like music, often utters the things that cannot be spoken. Wow. And it does, doesn't it? You know when nothing else to do but a hug or, or just to feel someone's hand supportively on your shoulder or your back or, you know, or just to feel that human connection. You know, if you're open to that, sometimes we don't know what, why we need that. You know, and of course, uh, with today's society, culture, where it's, it's almost discouraged and, and it's not, encor you know, encouraged or uh, explored or seen as okay. So say, for example, so in psychology, psychotherapy, loneliness is kind of accepted to a degree, right? It's kind of accepted, but the kind of thing is, you know, you know, we'll, we'll get more friends, learn to like yourself more, and that's fine. That's, that's okay. But when it goes deeper than that, when there's a kind of what I'll call a yearning or a longing or desire for connection, and that's important, I'm going to come back to it, uh, connection addiction in a minute. Hugely significant. For some reason, now I'm not, I can't speak for every psychotherapist or psychologist, but my understanding of the different models of psychology, psychotherapy, and what I understand and hear, it kind of doesn't quite know what to do with that. You know, um, it can tend to be pathologized in terms of, now obviously the therapist isn't going to say this to you directly, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? This is the big mis misstep that can happen there's something wrong with you and the therapist will work from the point of view of trying to get you to get that to kind of go away without acknowledging it in a wholesome way or explore what's wrong with you that you have this. Sure, you have, don't you have friends? Don't you did it, did it, did it, right? 
it'll do all that type of stuff. Kind of wonder why. Psychoan psychoanalysis. I always struggle to say the difference between a psychoanalyst and psychoanalysis. So psychoanalysis in some ways will allow for it, but it will slightly pathologize it in terms of well, something psychodynamically has gone wrong in your childhood with your family. And to a, to a point, maybe, yes, but they're coming from a different angle. They're saying that you, you, you've done something wrong. Maybe there's something wrong with the way you're seeing things. You need to, you know, they, there's a different emphasis, even though some of the things I think they're saying are correct. Yeah, we do need to maybe renegotiate our understanding of the meaning of this. But they're not coming in and saying, wow, it's not a beautiful thing that you feel such depth of yearning and longing that you've got this desire for love and to give and receive love. How beautiful is that? Yes, but it seems to be haunting you. Let's, let's look at how we can nurture that better and see what decisions you're making or what you're, you know. To my knowledge, it doesn't do that. I could be wrong. You know, it will tend to more come from the point of view of how you were misinterpreting life or humans. The fact that you have this. You know, I'm not sure what their model of good health is. That's always very interesting. So you've got that. Behaviorists would, yeah, again, this is very individual. They're really focusing on behavior. So they'd be kind of going, well, what have you done to, to help your loneliness? And, 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 and you know, because again, this is a very, it's a multi-layered thing. It's not just, oh, I am lonely. I need to join a club and, and I might need to do that or I need to reach out more, you know, um, because you know, loneliness can fluctuate. I can get real lonely at different times and think, fuck, I'm looking forward to meeting the lads later on or tomorrow, you know, like to be around some people. And it would have that kind of surface level. But I know I can drop into a deeper place around that. But it might be as simple as that. I just need to have a laugh and fuck around with other human beings, right? Um, so this is multifaceted. It's not as simple. So for the behaviorists, for the CBT, it's not just a matter of changing the behavior and changing beliefs. That will help for sure. That will definitely help. But I suppose what I'm referring to is a deeper yearning. That when you do all those things, you find it's still there. And you'll find it down in the pit of your stomach. You'll find it all through your body. You'll find it in your heart. You'll feel it in your body. Like Christopherson says, it makes the body feel alone. You know, it's like your skin actually feels that way, you know. And because it's not always talked about in glowing terms or in encouraging terms, there can also be a shame attached to it. Society and culture, Western culture particularly, absolutely shames people for this. It's not okay to be vulnerable. It's not okay to have deep desire. You, you may be seen as like needy, you know. So anyone that's worked with me therapeutically, if they use that term, I don't mind if they use it. I'll say, look, how about we suggest rather than saying you're needy because it's such a pejorative, it's a real put down. I don't go near him or her. They're so needy, you know. Let's let's re reframe that to you have needs. Maybe you're going to the wrong places to get your needs met, and you you know you're going to get a lot of that kind of shame, shame based. So we get shamed quite a lot, and society has a shame energy around it in terms of intimacy, uh, loneliness, reaching out, all that type of stuff. Now, of course, I'm not referring here just in, in terms of dating or romance or, or sexual intimacy. I'm going to include that for sure because it gets heightened there. I'm just talking about all human contact, you know, and there'll be overlaps into, you know, loss of love in this conversation because the yearnings often may also be, well, I did have something with somebody, a good friend or a lover or a family member, and, and that's changed, it's gone. So... There may be another dimension of loss in this, either having it before or having something before. And it can create that sense of deep yearning or loneliness or desire 
that's seeking something, you know, huge. Um, humanistic psychotherapy would embrace this a little bit more, is my understanding, because it's more, tends to be you now, more creative, more open, more exploratory, more I-thou type, more like co-created relationship in the therapy thing, rather than an expert telling you what's wrong with you, all that type of stuff. So there's much more scope and room to explore the human experience. This is very much a human experience. But even in there, I've noticed, there can be, and I don't think people do it on purpose, there can be a tendency to shame or to judge or to kind of categorize and kind of go, you know, you've obviously got issues or that's the feeling, you know, we've got to work on these issues. So they're seeing the fact that you have deep yearning and desire as a problem. They're not judging you badly, you know, rather than that's not the problem. The problem is my framing of that, my understanding of that experience uh, with the backdrop of a society that doesn't fully accept human beings and all their vulnerability and all their amazing glory and so forth. You know, that's so I think as a therapist, we have to extend out and look at how society and culture looks at something rather than pathologize the individual. Right? Yeah, there may be certain things as an individual I'm doing that aren't helping me feel better about that, to meet those needs, picking the wrong type of people, so forth, so forth. Um, of course, of course, we've touched that before, you know. Oh, as well, hang on. A sip of water. I have my tea after. I know it's when I have tea, I want to focus on my tea and not talk. So I just forget about doing a podcast and I love doing the podcast. Um, tea brings me into a whole other dimension. Yes, thank you for all the, the many comments, uh, both people that know me face to face and people have left in the uh, the email space, um, all generally positive. Someone posts a question like, I love all the music references, but do you think, uh, do you think maybe that, that you might lose people that aren't into that? And maybe, 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 I don't know. But then this, this is what this podcast is, isn't it? I don't know. You know, so. I'm trying to balance it out. I could just list music all day and talk about it and, and bring more psychotherapy uh, or psych psychology kind of references in because I didn't think people would be interested in them, but maybe they are. And, and kind of connecting those two worlds together in that sense. Uh, so all different uh, people enjoying it, loving it, think it's a bit funky, it's a bit different, it's interesting and, and, and great. It's lovely to hear that. Loving it. Lots of thumbs up. Keep it going. Look forward to it. Enjoy it. Oh, just a correction on, it's a minor one, when I was speaking about Nick Cave and Into My Arms, and I just quoted, I quoted the line slightly incorrectly. I said, I don't believe in, uh, he says, interventionist God. And I said, something else, God, that sounded like that. I'm sure pure Nick Cave fans would have picked that up, but just to correct that, you know. Um, and, oh yeah, <laughs> the film, the, the, uh, the Hitchcock film was Spellbound, a film noir, 1948, I think. Um, I purposely didn't look it up till I finished the podcast. I went, fuck yeah, that was a uh, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Fabulous film. Um, with the Dali sequence in the dream and all that. Um, I found myself wanting to watch it, you know, see, trying to seek it out. Do you know there isn't a good channel, by the way? And uh, here's a whole area that someone could open up, make a few bob on where, and maybe there is, I don't know about it, where they do pure classic black and white old film noir films. There's some brilliant ones. I have some on DVD that I bought, but I'd love to just be able to access them on the telly. You might get the odd one here and there, like all of them. 
that's a, I, I digress slightly just to, to thank you again for your interest, support, comments. Um, much, much appreciated. Because yeah. it, it is important. Again, it's, it is about connection. And the, the thing about doing a podcast is you, you try and sense the connection, but you don't know for sure unless people tell you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So please do. Um, look, I'm not looking for lots of fucking criticism or abuse, but if you have like a, a comment that's like, well, look, I, I don't like the way you do that. Could you do this? Listen, I don't know if I'll change it or not. You know, I'm open uh, for sure. I know uh, this isn't going to appeal to everybody, but it, it certainly does to groups of people I meet and people that, that, that write in and stuff like that. So, um that's that so thank you so much it's such a joy to get that and to know it's having some kind of positive impact either it makes you laugh maybe it makes you cry maybe it makes you think maybe it opens up an area for you maybe it gives you a bit of music you hadn't heard of before or a book or just a kind of a notion or an idea or a sense maybe that you're not alone in the world or whatever it might be it's 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 beautiful if it's having that effect on just one person i'm delighted okay so I was talking about the uh, how the the world of uh, psychotherapy or psychology or even psychiatry, psychiatry. You now you're in difficulty <laughs> depending on what psychiatry. If you go and you talk about deep yearnings and longings to a psychiatrist, if you were really lucky and you got a really good psychiatrist who was very humane and open and maybe studied psychotherapy as well, because that's the interesting thing. A lot of psychiatrists don't study psychotherapy. You would think they would, but they don't. They kind of think they know it. You know, it'd be like me to try to pretend I know psychiatry and giving people medications for all to, absolutely not. You know, as a whole, so it's a real elite, brilliant area, fabulous people knowing great stuff to do that. But unless you got someone who was really kind of a bit more Yalomi, you know, Irvin Yalom style, you could run into difficulty just describing this stuff to a psychiatrist, you know, because you'd, you'd certainly be antipsychotic medication given to you. They might misinterpret what you're saying as, you know, that you're kind of out of touch with reality a bit and, you know, you have maybe some deep, deep depression, you know. Um, because sometimes when you're in touch with that level of longing and loneliness, uh, it, it, depression can come with that, can feel this difference to feeling a bit depressed, to going into a depression. And when you understand what you're experiencing, that it's okay, that it's actually quite a beautiful thing, it, the depression kind of eases out of it. So there might be some sadness. There's a real richness and, and, and beauty in, in being able to feel a sadness, being able to feel that tinge of, you know, slight depression, uh, loneliness. It's very soulful, isn't it? It's very... You know, now I'm not talking about being crippled that you can't get out of bed. That's a whole different thing. But this, you know, we're, we're nearly allergic if we get a feeling where a tear comes to your eye, you know, medicate it, don't talk about it. it. Must be so wrong. It's okay to feel deeply to explore that. Kind of go, I'm okay. I'm alive. It's okay to be alive, you know. Um, but as I said, we have a society that's obsessed with pretending we don't need each other. What the fuck's that all about? <laughs> like, how do they. Where was I talking to someone recently about this? Maybe it was a younger client. They were trying to date and they were on the dating apps and going into clubs and that. This is, I, I spoke about this before, obviously, on the podcast. 
you're all lost without the slow set. You have, how do you get together? How do you do the mammalian touch another human being without the slow set? I mean, they go to clubs and it's all fucking fast music, isn't it? You know, and they kind of, uh, maybe you fall out later on out the door with someone and you don't say, would you like to come out on a date? Would you like to come home with me? Can we go get her? You know, I don't know how often that happens. And you can't say this is a date because no, no, we're just, we're too cool. We're too cool to date, you know? So there's all that, and I'm sure there's very real people within all of that, but there's all those games. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not young, trying to deal with all that shit. That's a load of bollocks, isn't it? You know, I'm pretending, oh, it'll be cool. I'm not going to text her back for another year. <laughs> you know? Uh, no, he can wait, you know? I'm not letting him or her know. And okay, I understand that the, the art of the flirt, a little bit of mystery and magic, but that's a different thing, isn't it? Than, 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 acting like a fucking teenager or a child, you know, it's like, come on, it's really not sexy. Can I put that out right now, right? Any of you that, I, I imagine people that listen to me don't do this, but if you know anyone that, as an adult that plays those type of games, just whisper in their ear, it's not a good look. You look like a fucking idiot, you know? And they'd probably say, well, I'd rather do that than declare my intentions and get rejected. Okay, no one likes that, but there's more honor in that, you know? You know, no one wants to feel rejected for fuck's sake. But at the same time, you know, um, like what what do we pretend in life is about? Like, life is about meeting people, whether that's for a lovely romantic loving connection, whether that's family members, whether it's friends. Everything we're doing is about meeting people and connecting with them, whether we like it or not. <laughs> we need them; they need us. You know, this kind of whole idea, particularly when it gets to more intimacy you know uh ah yeah i'm just yeah whatever i'm just kind of here whatever we'll see you know playing cool and being aloof and kind of arrogant and all that for, for a couple of minutes for a bit of crack it's fine but like at some point be an adult you know step up to the plate and say listen i really like it come on let's do something would you like to come out with me or can we spend a bit of time together you know and if you said that to someone now they'd probably look at you you're weird you know but there's nothing weird about that at all. That's what everybody really wants to do. Can at some point we find a space where you and I can be together with people or alone and, and, and take this conversation a bit further? Can we have that, you know, without having to get fucking drunk, stoned, play games on? I, I remember it was torture. Now, some people like this. Uh, I, I, it was a long, long time ago, but I wasn't drinking or taking anything like that. You know, I'd finished all that stuff. I finished with that very early. Never really got into it properly, to the truth be known. But uh, I probably in my early 20s, uh, and I was out on this thing, and there was someone saying she likes you, Jimmy, you know. Oh, yeah, she told me. Oh, right, she was nice. And, da -da -da -da, and off we go, and we're in these pubs. And it just went on all night, you know. So you have to go to do all, you have to jump through loads of hoops. And, you, know, you know, I was... Within an hour, I could have said, can we go somewhere? You know, I don't mean even for sex, but even for just to, to have an old snog or to talk a bit more, or have a bit of privacy. No, you have to go through all that four or five in the morning. You're in a house party, you know, and after a while, it's that fucked us. I just went home. And then I heard later on, she was raging, you left. <laughs> What's all that about? I don't know. Anyway, so here we are. Human desire, human yearning for contact, for connection, you know. Um, how society views this, how psychotherapy and psych, so you know what I'm saying, psychiatry could be a tricky one, psychoanalysis 
could be a little bit too, depending on how you word it. So what you might get is then people going to therapy and they're not really opening up. They're not really saying, look, I feel this because they're, they're fearful they might be shamed or misinterpreted or, you know, pathologized or seen as something wrong with them. And, and do you know what I'm going to say to you loud and clear? If you have ever or still do, as I do, feel why I say deep because it's deep down in my belly I'm not trying to um, pretend I'm this profound deep person deep yearning deep longing that feels physical in your being for human connection of all kinds if you experience that what a beautiful healthy human being you are isn't that wonderful no it's not wonderful to stay in pain around it I get that I'll come to that You, you know you'd want that eased off at some point but I think that needs to be our starting point is to welcome our deep desire for human connection with appreciation, with joy, with, wow, God, I really feel deeply, don't I? Flip it around as opposed to, oh my God, there's something terribly wrong with me. Why? Oh, that's a negative. I'm so needy. Uh, No, and of course, no one human being is going to meet that. You know, a lot of us do make that mistake. We think, you know, I'll, I'll meet the right man or the right woman and, 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 and that will go away. Not necessarily. I don't think that's the solution. It's beautiful if you do that and, and it'll help. There, there are many different kind of ways, solutions. The first part is to really frame positively what it is. This is part of being a human being, right? That's a wonderful part of being a human being. It has a physical element to it because we're mammals. That means we need human touch, you know. Um, lovely band I've mentioned before called the Be Good Tanyas from uh, Canada, made up of Frazy Ford and, oh, what's her name? Oh, yeah, Jolie Holland, Samantha Parton, and Trish Klein. They all have solo careers as well. I mentioned Frazy Ford in, in uh, a previous podcast. She does that one. Um, I'm done. She's finished with an abusive relationship. Um, great, great sound. Lovely voices. Kind of, they speak. They they slur a little bit. Maybe they're drunk. I don't know. No, they just have that kind of. Um, but uh, there's a song called "Human Thing," and I think they're kind of touching on some of what I'm saying here. So here's a couple of lines from it. You're a human thing. You're so busy fronting, confusing, courage and acting. Move me, move me. Could it really be so wrong to let somebody see? Human thing. Well, I love that. Now, of course, without the music, it doesn't have the same, you know, uh, depth, obviously, because as that lovely saying said earlier on, like the touch is like the music and can describe something we can't utter with words, you know. Would it really be so wrong to let somebody see you? To see you and your vulnerability, to see you? Obviously, choose that somebody well. Not some fucking sociopathic fucking lunatic that's going to rip your heart into shreds, you know? Oh, you'll do. Hello, can I tell you about my deep yearning? Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? But, you know, so they're saying in that, like, you're so busy fronting, putting up fronts, confusing things, you know, confusing courage and acting. Could it really be so wrong to let somebody see? It's a human thing. It's a human thing. Great, great song, you know. Uh, and, you know, with me, with songs, there's so many, many songs that have that. And you know, a lot of them come fold over into just love songs and missing someone. I get that, millions of them. But 
songs that really touch that naked human space. It feels a bit naked, doesn't it? I, I find it a bit naked. Less and less so now because I've been embracing it more and thinking, well, I've always felt like this all my life. It's, that's never gone away. Lots has changed in terms of how I see it and how I go about getting that met, the types of places or people. That's certainly changed hugely. And then there's a whole beautiful paradoxical element that the more I accept that, the more I realize I'm giving that to me also. We all know this, if I can nurture myself, I maybe don't need the other so much. And then when that happens, the other is more available. You know, it works both ways, you know. So because there is a, a deep spiritual element that not one human being can ever really resolve for us, as I see it. You know, uh, so I find that in myself or or in lots of different connections. You know, I'm not, not looking to nail down that one and kind of go, stay in my life to make it meaningful. It's meaningful contact, you know. Um, I'm going to move a little bit into uh, addiction. Have I given done justice to how psychotherapy and psychology see that? I mean, I possibly have. When you present in psychology or with a psychologist or psychotherapist, you're probably not going to be presenting what well, about this deep hole in my soul and I, you're probably not going to say it's going to manifest as something else, possibly an addiction, uh, possibly some kind of behavior or maybe you can't meet a partner. It's going to present that way or always, you know, and you're wondering what's wrong with me kind of thing. Let's look at the crossover into addiction. You know, we could say addiction is many, many things from chemicals to behaviors to mood lifts to, you know, seeking a mood, uh, using the chemical to ease pain, using the chemical to create kind of joy. It's that and so much more. But in my experience, in my own personal experience, I'm from talking with people a lot around addiction, recovery. It's about connection trying to connect with something. So, and again, not that the person in addiction at the time says, I'm taking, I'm snorting this, I'm using this crack now because I'm really lacking human connection and I'm going to take this and have it with the crack. Have the crack with the crack. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or I'm drinking. You're not consciously thinking that. What happens is I'm trying to meet that place. I'm trying to connect with something. Maybe I'm afraid to do it with human beings. Maybe I've been ashamed, ashamed by people. Maybe I've chose the wrong relationships. There's a whole bundle of reasons why. But somehow I've connected with this chemical and or the trappings around, be that the pub, some people love the whole vibe, the crack den, the kind of the boardwalk, wherever you find yourself taking your chemicals. Doesn't matter where, everyone's doing it for the same reason. The lonely, they want to connect preferably with another human being, but they're probably figuring that hurts too much, so I'm going to give that up. Again, not consciously, and I, I found something here. And of course, it brings you further away from real connection. Because you hurt everyone around you, you embarrass people, you shame them, you push people away. You know, so the very thing you really, really want, you create the opposite. You, you cling to this chemical that's doing more and more and more harm. You know, as I've said in a previous podcast, it's like a very bad relationship that you keep going back to. You give it one more chance and it fucks you over again, you know. I just notice things. I do a little bit what I, I borrow what Bowie did when I was talking about the kind of uh, the the creative flow and uh, ways to connect and kind of the non sequiturs or the kind of just letting things come. I often, uh, as I said, I don't plan my podcast. I might have a somewhere during the week I thought I'm going to do a yearning and longing. And then just different things will come to me. So I might jot a few things down once because my memory is shot. Uh, but two, um, 
just because it, it would be hard to retain that information. And when I was talking about Ashley Montague and us being mammals and the actual physical need for contact, it was around, yeah, the that as mammals, touch and skin has a, an, an immunological function. So, you know, it needs cutaneous stimulation, like I just jot that down. And there's that lovely term, gentling. It's like handling. We need gentling. Isn't that beautiful? Tactile stimulation, you know. So when you're thinking of having your little baby, you know, whether it's your, your own child or a nephew or a niece, and, you know, you're doing all the functional stuff like you're patting on the back to wind. And, and, and of course, that has a very important function for wind, but there's something else happening is the connection, the stimulation. And if the baby's naked, the better, and they're on you, that's beautiful. You know, you can hear and feel the heartbeat, you know, so there's lots of contact with baby, And they don't, they'll just reach out and touch, you know, out of curiosity, but they need it. They're curious. They need the contact lovely strong but gentle handling or or what it's called gentling i love that term i just wanted to i jotted that down and spotted because i jot things down and i throw them in front of me and think i might look at them i might not i might need them i might not so i'm just moving back in to uh underneath all the addictions and the dysfunctions and the uh, you know whether that's behavioral addictions into relationships into sex into you know gambling food all of that, you know, all those complexities underneath it all, I would suggest is a very, very deep desire. And it's deep because it's down in the being to connect with other human beings. And through that, part of that, to connect spiritually also. They're not separate. And that will involve healthy, positive, gentling, handling, contact. Which is a beautiful thing. If you know recovery movements all over the world, NA, AA, do, a, NA are better at it than AA actually. Hugs, huge. Now, wh whoever stumbled across that at the beginning of the, the self-help groups were really onto something. I mean, it has an immediate, you're glad to see someone, but there's something deeper. People feel the need to affirm, to connect. There's a sense that people may or are more insecure, have lacked this contact. So if you're around a, a group of NA people, AA people recovery, you'll see a lot of hugs. You'll see it in other places too. Group therapy, you might get that. And that's the reason. And it's powerful, absolutely powerful. There's something very deep going on there. Lots of needs being met very positively, you know, lots of intuitive understanding of things. Um, so that is there. So it wouldn't be unusual when someone gets into recovery, so to speak, and they're a couple of years in or whatever. It doesn't really matter the time. And they may keep coming back to this piece. They're doing really, really well. They've put loads right. They're good with their family. They've got a job. They've reconnected with their dignity and who they really are and what lives them. And it's fucking brilliant. There's nothing as magical as a recovery story. It's wonderful. You think of where people have been. And there can be this niggling peace. Now, it's, it's eased down a lot because there's been lots of good connections made. The chemicals are out of the way. But often then people feel it more profoundly because now they're they're more open and they feel a deeper sense of the self. And the deeper sense of the self can feel very lonely, very sad. Not sad, pathetic, because that's what society does. It's not to judge that. And and yes, some of that may be remnants of your know, relationships that have gone wrong in the past and regret and remorse. There'll be bits of that hanging around, but that starts to drop away. And there's something else there. That's where I'd say that is wholesome and healthy. I want you to embrace that. 
to do the opposite to what every fiber of your being will tell you, to what your friends who aren't good friends will tell you, to what society tells you. Shut that shit up, you fucking embarrassing, you're needy, you know, there's something wrong with you, yada la la, all of that. And embrace that with pride, good pride. Know that you're an evolving human being. It's part of the human condition. And in a way, it's not something that need, you don't need to go to therapy because of it, right? People only end up in therapy because they think there's something wrong with it. It's like, now you're done. <laughs> therapy will help you understand it, you know? So what you need more and more is acceptance, uh, appreciation, love of, joy of this connection. So you get that lovely paradox where you can feel real joyful and very deeply lonely at the same time and a bit sad, but it's absolutely fine. You know, and I would suggest, again, just my thoughts, my experience, that's the human journey. That doesn't necessarily go away. I think it deepens, it's met in different ways much better. The spiritual element happens more and more. That's part of the human, because life is hard and we are mammals and we're not perfect and we can't, we're, we're reaching for that ultimate spiritual connection. We can touch bits of heaven absolutely while we're here beautiful be generally okay but we really meet that when we go back to where we came from you know and maybe not have a body because i think when you have a human body it'll always ache much much more you know it's hard to keep it satisfied you feed it you do what you need to do with it but you know the the spiritual desire will come through your body when that's not there anymore i think it's much easier to me they're, they're just thoughts on on the, the whole thing you know so yeah that would be addiction recovery it's i heard someone else saying that the other day it was all about connection jimmy it was about connection it was the wrong way to try to connect but i just wanted to click you know um and i think all human beings you know addicts recovery not all human beings because people say to me, Jimmy, do you work with people that aren't, aren't addicts or alcoholics? I say, yeah, loads. Are they the same? Pretty much. The addicts are just a little bit more frantic, a bit more, Ugh! you know what I mean? They, they think it hurts them more than everybody else. And it, it feels like it does, but it doesn't. Everyone has that. You know, and they've developed maybe more maladaptive ways of, of trying to manage things. But outside of that, humans are humans, you know. Humans are humans. Um, what was that now? Where did I put it? I was thinking of the Bruce Springsteen song. I'm not, I don't mind Bruce Springsteen, I like him, but I'm not, he wouldn't be one of my favorites. He's not me not favorite. Um, but he's got that lovely song, Human Touch. And here's a, a couple of lines from that that describe this beautifully. I ain't looking for praise or pity. I ain't coming around searching for a crutch. I just want someone to talk to. And a little of that human touch. I mean, how simple is that? Bruce, you summed it up beautifully. There's no shame involved. You know, I'm not looking for an addiction or a crutch. I just want to talk to someone and have some touch. How beautiful is that? It's that simple. And yet, somehow in this world, we complicate that so much and put up masks and games and defenses. You know, I think we get more hurt not looking when we don't acknowledge that, so to speak, you know. Um, that other, um, oh yeah, yeah, I knew I was going to mention this as well. Um, the late, great uh, Nielsen, Harry Nielsen. Everybody's talking at me, that guy. Um, although he didn't write that, someone else wrote it, but he's famous for it, you know. Used in uh, 
Midnight Cowboy, John Voight and Dustin Hoffman, that wonderful film. Anyway, Harry Nielsen wrote this chilling song called One, which was used, uh, Harry Nielsen passed away many years ago, but was used brilliantly in the film Magnolia. And Amy Mann, wonderful singer, did her version of it. And if you haven't seen Magnolia, it's all about human alienation and the need for connection and a bit of dysfunction. A lot of what I'm talking about. But Amy Mann does the soundtrack and it's fucking exquisite. But she does one, right? Just a couple of lines from the song one. One is the loneliness number that you'll ever know. Yes, it's the saddest, saddest experience you'll ever know. One is just the loneliest number. Much, much worse than two, you know. Again, so simple. That's what he's saying. One being on your own. It's it's so cleverly brilliant. It's so simple. One is the loneliest number you will ever know. Much, much sadder than two. You know? And again, it may be oversimplistic, but somehow when I hear it, it just cuts right through and go, I go, yeah. Now, again, with the music, me just saying it doesn't sound great with the music. It's, it's really, really cool, you know? Um, I have, funny enough, this is a bit of a non-sequitur now for you, um, I thought I wouldn't be saying that, having said it so often in the last couple of episodes, but I was just note, noting it to a friend earlier on today. Um, I get these quirky little things around music. So, for example, whenever I hear the, word, the, the term Mexico in a song, it gives me a lovely feeling of something kind of special going on. I can't explain why, right? It just feels kind of healing and there's something secretive in a good way going on, that they, you know? So either they're going to Mexico or they're coming from Mexico. Um, so it's it's in one of Paul's, it's in a couple of Paul Simon songs. It's in um, Only Living Boy in New York City, Fly Down to Mexico. Um, it's in one of my favorite songs by Little Feet called Willing, you know, smuggled some, smoked some folks from Mexico, baked by the sun. And now again, as I'm saying it, you could be listening kind of go, what the fuck is he on? <laughs> but there's something in the song when I hear, and it's nothing to do with even the country Mexico, whatever way they're saying it in the song, right? Um, so I just thought I'd share that with you. Because <laughs> my friends, that's a bit of a very left field, isn't it? Very, it's very quirky, and I can't explain to you why that is. But, but as soon as I began to hear it in the song, it wasn't a, a I wasn't thinking about it. I just thought, why do I get such comfort and soothing from hearing that they're going to Mexico or they've come from Mexico, you know? Um, yeah. Actually, just to use a Paul Simon song there, now that it's, I've, I've touched on Mexico, um, from the album Hearts and Bones, and it's the song Hearts and Bones. It's a lesser known song by Paul Simon. Um, and it's somehow in the song he's kind of challenging that notion or he's raising that notion of how kind of society sees relationships and love and, and not being able to get what you want, you know. Um, so the exchange in the song is, um, what is it again? Just give me, did I write it down? I'll try and recall it myself. Hang on. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got it. Have it. It's on Hearts and Bones. So, in the song, he says to her, presumably, you know, after having said, let's go down to Mexico, um, why? Why can't you love me for who I am, where I am? And we all know that one, don't we? Why, why, do, why can't you just love me for who I am, where I am? And she says in her response, because that's not the way the world is, baby. This is how I love you, baby. This is how I love you, baby. 
which isn't a bad response. She's kind of saying, well, look, this is the way I love you, you know, but somewhere in there, something's gone wrong. You know that one? It's not even blaming the other, you know? It, it's kind of like, well, maybe does, does he need to be more himself to show that to the other person to be loved? Who knows? Is it something blocked in the other person that they just can't love him the way he is? But she's saying that's not the way the world is, baby. This is how I love you, baby. So, so I don't know if Paul Simon's challenged. I'm challenging. Well, maybe the world is like that, but doesn't need to be that way. Maybe we could change that. Maybe we could be loved for who we are. Who else can we be? You know? Yeah. So in that he says, why can't we drive through the night and wake up down in Mexico? Why? Why can't you love me for who I am, where I am? Because that's not the way the world is, baby. This is how I love you, baby. So listen to that earlier on. And it also has that Mexico in it, which I like. So you can see that somehow, you know, anything that comes through music or literature in a very powerful way, and there's themes and are touching on, and I, I, a couple of podcasts earlier, I talked about the kind of collective unconscious and, unconscious, and music and art will come into that. And human themes, or what Jung called the archetypes, will flow in and out of that all the time. So you'll hear them in music all the time, those themes. I suppose that's what I'm picking up on. Now, you may pick up on different ones, but they're the, that's why I'll quote, just because I love music anyway, but I'll quote different music because it's capturing something that's deep in the human soul that we somehow all know somewhere. We might describe it differently, but you kind of go, Okay, I know, I know what he's getting at. I know what Paul Simon meant. I know what Jimmy's saying about what Paul Simon meant. You know, you know. Um, was it Ashley Montague? No, it wasn't actually. It was. Oh, it was Ashley Montague. Yeah, again, I love him. He said, because it's all about love and sexual love, intimate love, brotherly love, sisterly love, friendly love, neighborly love. Just love. That's that's who we really are at our core. It's that simple. It's that complex. There's, n there's nothing more to it. It's all about love, right? So check this out. I thought this was lovely. He says, love is the supreme form of communication. In the hierarchy of needs, love stands as, as the supreme developing agent of, of the humanity of the person. As such, the teaching of love should be the central core of all early childhood curriculum, with all other subjects growing out of such teaching. Ashley Montague. Now, I'm going to read that again, because I love the sound of your own voice. I'm such a narcissist. <laughs> love is the supreme form of communication in the hierarchy of needs. Love stands as, as the supreme developing agent of humanity, of the person. As such, the teaching of love should be the central core of all early childhood curriculum, with all other subjects growing out of such teachings. Can you imagine if we were taught love? You know, we, we love naturally, but if we were taught to value love in that way, centrally, as children in school, all the stuff we're talking about, and then all the other stuff could flow from that. So Ashley Montague was way ahead of his time. He's coming out with stuff like that and he's got so much more. So I would encourage you to, if you're interested in this type of stuff, to, to listen to him or look him up, you know. Um, there's, there's something as well in, 
you know, the very darker areas in our, our lives when we're in pain, terrible pain, because that connection isn't happening and or we don't understand that connection or lack of connection and we shame ourselves based on being shamed. And we're in not only loneliness, we're in very painful, shameful loneliness now. And there's no solution. There's no way out. You know, that, that can lead to very difficult places for human beings. Um, and I'm thinking of a song by Loudon Wainwright. It's kind of quirky, funny, dark, interesting guy. Um, his son is Rufus Wainwright, who did big hit with Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. And he's also a daughter, uh, Martha Wainwright, beautiful singer also. Um, he was married to Kate McGarrigal, one of the McGarrigals, Kate and Anna McGarrigal. These were the, you know, so real music royalty there, you know. But anyway, he the brilliant song called um, Motel Blues. And he's like any musician on the road, he's staying in these motels, right? And obviously he's, he's I think he may be single at the time, but he, he, he meets someone, right? Um, and he's, they get together and he's, I don't know whether he's trying to coax her to come up to the motel room, he kind of is, so maybe they're downstairs in the lobby in the bar, you know? And he's saying like, come on up, you know, come on up, motel room, you know? Um, she may be feeling a bit ashamed or something, I don't know, or oh, I don't know whether I should. And he's saying, look, I'll buy you breakfast. They'll think you're my wife. Come up to my hotel room. Save my life. That's the key line. Save my life. It's just dreadful loneliness. Just, you know, I don't know if it's about just sex or is it about having another human being because I don't want to face this awful lonely space in the dark of the night, you know, just to have someone to cuddle or to talk to or laugh with, you know. I think often it's not necessarily about sex. That can happen. But it's the con uh, the contact, the connection. And that's so universal, isn't it? You know, it's kind of all we really want, you know, that kind of way. Motel Blues, Loud and Wayne, right? So he's, and of course in the song, he's kind of nearly, he's, he's screaming at the end, save my life, save my life. That's how deep it feels for him. Now, of course, there's another dimension when we actually own that and can connect with that. We don't feel someone needs to save our lives anymore. We're kind of, it's a nice place, but I, I'm okay on my own, actually, and I like me, and it's nice to be with me. But if you want to join in that, that's beautiful too. But I don't need you to save my life anymore. I've saved my own life now. And, you know, that can feel a bit nicer, and the emphasis is less. I don't need to have another being to do that. It becomes more of a choice thing then, you know, um, in that way. That's that's how I would experience that anyway. It's, and again, the, the actual physicality, uh, the, the touch, the tactile is is not separate from the spiritual connection. They they feed each other, they're one and the same, but they have different kind of dimensions to them, you know. The spiritual more, eventually we can become okay with, not no touch at all, because we're always gonna be mammals, but less, I don't need it as much, I still want it, but you know. I'm not sure who said this, oh yeah, I wrote it down. We touch heaven when we lay our hands on a human body. That's from 1772, quoted in Thomas Carlyle's Miscellaneous Essays, Volume 2, um, no doubt. So we touch heaven, there it is again, when we lay our hands on a human body. How amazing is that? Now, of course, it goes without saying, I'm talking here about absolutely adults, um, you know, uh, agreed upon consensual contact, or if it's uh, with an adult and a child, it's healthy, wholesome, nurturing stuff, just to be clear, you know. I love that quote when I saw that. From 1772, 
when I hear that volume two, I'm thinking of Monty Python, you know. Do you have the guy who goes into the bookshop, you know, that's <laughs> John Cleese. John, oh, is it John Cleese? It's behind the counter. Let me just think here now. No, I'm not sure. John Cleese is going along for the book. And anyway, every book he asked for, the guy hasn't got, you know. Do you have that? Uh, all these weird names and the, the guy's getting really, really frustrated. I think he says, like, do you have Ethel Yarbarko's quantity surveying? And the guy goes, yes, yes, volume two. <laughs> Having exhausted this huge list of books, the one he thinks he has, he's, he's almost going insane. Yes, I have it. Volume two. Oh, no, we don't have that. <laughs> Do you have um, The Adventures of Charlie Drake by an Irish gentleman whose name eludes me right now? Monty Python. So funny. So surreal. You know. And I think those guys and the, the comedians I often mention, I think they're in touch with this stuff. I think that's what real comedy and entertainment is really about for me. Because what are they doing? They're connecting. And they're using humour and comedy to touch on human desire, human loneliness, human need to connect, you know. And sometimes it has to, unfortunately, we, we, do, we do it via kind of code signal rather than it being a more okay thing, you know. You know, I mean, I'm going to finish up shortly. Obviously, I've been at a funeral recently of Connie and oh, not just that funeral, that Irish thing we have now, be strong now, don't be crying, you know, can't be strong. Now, if you go, I'll go, don't, you know, all that stuff we have. And it's like, well, I'm at a funeral, of course I'm going to cry. And this funeral, people let themselves cry and it was beautiful, you know. But that somehow counter-human movement that we're, 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 society is setting us up as uh, something completely different fundamentally than who we actually really are, you know. That's not the way the world is, baby. Oh, it is the way the world is, baby. This is the way we love. We love with glory, we love with vulnerability, with tenderness, with gentleness, with humor, with awkwardness, with laughter, with a desire to do no harm and just to meet a person wherever they are, gently and lovingly. How cool is that, you know? You know, it's not rocket science, is it? We all know it. We all know it deep down. Now, because of the... Uh, maybe familial or societal, cultural constraints, it does take a bit of courage to kind of face that yourself and somehow say, you know, we're into Brene Brown territory here, stepping into the void and kind of going, you know what, I'm okay with who I am. I'm okay with the fact that I have an excruciatingly painful desire to connect with another human being right now. I'm okay interpreting that as isn't that wonderful about me that I would feel so deeply to connect on this planet with another human being that I don't see that as anything wrong with me at all. I don't need medication for that. I don't need to see a therapist for that. I need to pat myself on the back and say, you're evolved, you're alive, isn't that beautiful? No one may meet me in that, that's okay. But you find when you embrace that, others come into your energy field that are similar. And once you break the code of the language, people are able to talk it with you and recognize it. You know, and it takes a while and they kind of realize this is, you're not going to be shamed. This is okay. This is absolutely okay, you know. Um, yeah. So I suppose what I'm saying to you is embrace, embrace your inner yearnings, your deeper yearnings. And I'm, I'm talking about the ones that are beyond the normal every day. Don't pathologize it. There is nothing wrong with you. 
Again, this is a line I may say to clients. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Someone reminded me of this recently in the supervision group, uh, the, the relational supervision group that I do every so often. And, and they liked it. They've used it with their own clients. And I was really touched that they did. It's so simple, but it's absolutely true. The only thing that's wrong with you is you think there's something wrong with you. So I'm going to come back to that. The only thing that's wrong with you is you think there's something wrong with you, you know? Um, yeah, I suppose I'm naturally winding down now. I'm just checking, have I? Because often I think, ah, oh, shit, I didn't say that. I meant to quote that song or this song. I'm just having a little look at things I've jotted down or things that are popping into my mind. Yeah, got that. Got the Springsteen. Oh, there was another one. Another Paul Simon one. It's more, I mean, it is about that yearning, but it's more a testament to the depth of human beings. Now, you say it to the wrong person, they could quote that as something kind of like, there's a bit of pathology in there, you know? So it depends on what angle you're looking at it from. So if you come at it from a very wholesome place in which we're talking about, in the wonderful Paul Simon song, Slip Sliding Away, all of it, all the lines are brilliant. But just to, to capture what I'm talking about, he said, Dolores, I live in fear. My love for you is so overpowering, I'm afraid I will disappear. What a gorgeous line, you know. My love for you is so overpowering, I'm afraid that I will disappear. Slip sliding away. Now you can interpret that whatever way you like. But I'm taking the good out of that. He's just so profoundly aware of the love that he has, which is just remind me of somebody else I want to talk about. And I didn't write it down. Um, John Lennon, in his song Love, he says, love is wanting to be loved. Love is touch. Love is feel. Love is reaching to be loved. And that's the angle he's coming from is different there. You know, we tend to think of love is when we're being loved. He's saying, no, your desire to be loved is love. Love is a bigger thing. It includes giving and receiving. So it's touching into the placeness because I think as human beings, we can get most ashamed because of what we want. When I have a desire to reach, I can interpret that shamefully if I met with the wrong kind of, you know, if someone's a bit, ooh, don't like that, you know, in you. It's the reaching out. If someone gives something to you, it's a bit easier to manage. But if, if you want to give, and they're opposite sides of the same coin. So John Lennon says, love is wanting to be loved. Love is reaching to be loved. Love is touch. Love is feel. Love is asking, love is asking to be loved. How vulnerable is that? Just let that sink in. Love is asking to be loved. And owning that beautifully and kind of going, yeah, I'm good with that. That was the late, very, very, very great John Lennon, right, from the song Love. My love for you is so overpowering, I'm afraid I will disappear. I mean, Paul Simon uses beautiful imagery anyway. What's he really saying there? Is he saying, if there's no love, I'll disappear. It's so overpowering, I'll disappear. It's just fucking, it's captivating. I love it, you know, embrace it. Last but not least, I'm going to finish with looking at a song by the, again, late, all the people I know have seen to be passed away. John Martin, Glasgow singer, husky voice, sounds drunk all the time, sometimes was drunk. Addiction really killed him. Incredible musician. But he's a song called I Couldn't Love You More. And I remember him back in 19, late 80s, having a conversation with this woman who said she was a John Martin fan, and I'm sure she was. And we were chatting. So I, I was talking about, 
all the different John Martin songs, I said, you know that song, I couldn't love you more, isn't that amazing? Now, I interpreted the song to mean, I love you so much, this, you're just so brilliant, I couldn't love you more, right? It's impossible to love you more. That's the message I was taking from it. That's how I was viewing the song. It's really, really positive. Of course, she had to put a whole fucking negative slant on it. She could be right. Said, ah, no, no, I, I think he, I, I think he's saying like, oh, look, I couldn't love you more. Fuck off, you know? <laughs> no, maybe that said something about her. What I was saying said something about me. And, you know, uh, I'm sure it depends on the attitude you have. I'm sure it's not very pleasant if someone says that. You look, look, I couldn't love you more. Would you stop? That's supposed to be the opposite to everything I'm talking about, isn't it? That, that's the dreaded chain that someone will say that to you. Look, it's enough. You want too much. You're too damn needy. You know? How many people listen to that getting triggered by that term? Have heard that or felt that? This is what we want to heal or begin to heal in this podcast. Let's flip that around. Let's, let's look at, I couldn't love you more. Let's take that as the greatest compliment ever. You're so damn fucking lovable. You know, as a human being, it's impossible to love you more. Which means, of course I could, you know, but uh, so interpretations or attitudes are all very interesting in this. And again, how much of them are taken up by our own woundedness and society and so forth. So I definitely am drawn to a close now. I hope it has been helpful to you, useful in some way. Episode 32, love, desire, yearning, human loneliness, you know. If you have them, you certainly know you're alive, right? And I'm going to say it again, I would say even if it doesn't feel good for you experiencing that at the moment, that's going to feel majestic at some point. That's the core of who you are and it's beautiful. And you will find softness and gentling and someone to meet that and you'll meet it yourself and you'll be okay. It just gives you a new dimension of living and it's just delightful. I have it in my gut now as I'm speaking, but I'm okay with it. I don't mind. I don't think there's anything wrong with me. And I've got great connections. So I have it even when I have connections. It's it lessons, of course, and they're beautiful times and moments. But it's okay. It's just part of being human for me. So I will love you and leave you on that note. Episode 32, just done. And I will be talking to you um, next week. God knows about what. You, you can be sure there'll be a few musical quotes in there and um, a couple of interviews coming up. It's just organising them. can be difficult. Um, I kind of feel I have to say that to you, um, but it's true, you know, because I am I can hear a voice of me saying, they're all probably wishing you do, you know, you do interviews. Um, and anyone that spoke to me says, yeah, we like the interviews, but we like doing what you're doing. And if we didn't like it, we wouldn't listen. And some people don't like it, don't listen. And that's the way, that's the way it rolls, isn't it? Okay. So, um, this is the way the world is, baby. This is how I love you, baby. And it's all good. Talk to you next week. Thank you for joining me in the Twilight Conversations. If you'd like to get in contact with us regarding any aspect of the show, you can get in touch at thetwilightconversations at gmail.com. So the Twilight Conversations is an independent project. We're not getting any help from anybody. No major corporations or anything like that. So... If you like the content, if you like what you're hearing, please continue to support us via our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash The Twilight Conversations.